For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Focus more on the intensity of what you're doing and the intent versus the volume of work that you're doing. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator and founder of The Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how-to series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to The Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and today I've got a very special guest with me as part of our how-to series. Today I've got Adam Douglas with me. Um, who is an applied sports scientist with Catapult Sports and a manager of sports performance over at Hockey Canada. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whichever it is for you, Adam, across the seas. How are you today? Ah, thank you very much. Afternoon. So good afternoon. I guess it's good evening for you. Yep. Um, I'm based out of uh, just outside Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So uh, it is uh, the day before Halloween and, uh, you know, we're nice and cold and chilly on a fall afternoon. Brilliant. So Adam, just for those who don't know um, and aren't familiar with your work, would you mind just going into a bit of detail around what it is that you do exactly and how you got to where you got to today, essentially? For sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to be here. Um, I, As you mentioned, I'm an applied sports scientist with Catapult Sports. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with Catapult, um, you know, as a kind of world-leading GPS and load monitoring uh, technology company. I'm actually in charge of our ice hockey clients. So I work closely with our National Hockey League, our American Hockey League, our NCAA, and some of our international level um, federations with uh, when it comes to everything, the kind of technology and inertial movement analysis uh, on the ice. That's kind of what my background is academically as well. I uh, basically almost one year to the day, uh, completed a PhD in load monitoring in elite ice hockey, where we, you know, looked at a lot of the factors as it relates to performance. And, and that's kind of the way I spun a lot of my work, you know, a lot of the work around wearable technology deals with injuries. And um, I kind of want to go a different way to see if we could start to impact some factors of performance. And uh, really the kind of the genesis of that was uh, kind of my other job that I have. Uh, my applied job is I'm a, a manager of sport performance with Hockey Canada, where I oversee our, our men's national team programs. Um, I spent about eight years working with just the, with the men's and women's team in that role uh, from a strength and conditioning and sports science support role. But now I just focus uh, on our men's national programs. Um, and, and really with Hockey Canada, uh, we, you know, we're very successful. Obviously, hockey is kind of the sport here in Canada. Um, but really, it's driven through our head, you know, 
whatever team and whatever level you're working with at the national team level that we have one color of medal in mind that that we set out to win and that's gold so everything we do um, when we're working with our teams is about performance and optimizing performance for our athletes to put them in the best position to succeed so that kind of spun my academic work and there's really not a lot of work when I started you know four or five years ago in wearable technology for ice hockey aside from heart rate monitors and mm -hmm. so you know with the explosion of um, information and data and technology and as technology has gotten smaller there was a nice uh, kind of niche to carve in the research literature surrounding wearable technology non-heart rate wearable technology in in the sport of hockey and hockey is kind of my thing my background as I said that that's kind of where I do all my applied work uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work in the National Hockey League with the Ottawa Senators as their conditioning coach. Um, I spent uh, nine years as a head strength coach in at a university here in Toronto. So strength and conditioning is my background. It's now spun more to kind of sports science, high performance, uh, kind of that that side of things. But, um, you know, I, I you know, one of my strengths and one of the things I love doing is kind of taking on that hat of the pracademics or the practical applied academic uh, where I can integrate with teams and, and speak the language of coaches because I've been in those trenches and in those locker rooms and in those cold hockey rinks for years. Mm. You know, you talk there about, you know, moving into almost a high performance world now, you know, I just wanted to just kind of touch on a couple of things that you said there regarding your background. First of all, for those that maybe, you know, because it, it's such a broad thing when you when you look at physical performance. What 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 is that for you? Yeah, the way I always describe it is, you know, if you look at that coactive model or the the factors of performance, you know, we have our technical, our tactical, our physical, and our environment or our mental. Mm -hmm. And for me, the physical component props up a lot of those other ones. Uh, and and you know, it's easy for me when I'm in the coaches' meetings and when I present this to our you know our coaches and stuff. You know, it's easy for me to say it's the most important, but it's not the most important, but it certainly impacts all of the other ones. And, and when you're trying to win at the highest level, you can only truly achieve that when you have the integra integration of all of that. So what does that mean in my role? That means I'm providing our coaches information to best prepare our players from a technical tactical perspective as it relates to our external load monitoring or our um, outputs that we're doing on the X. Right. If, if we, we need to marry uh, their practice plans with our physical output goals for the day. But not only that, I'm also translating that into, um, you know, matching what their what stimulus or stress they're getting on the ice to the work that I need them to do in the gym or off the ice. And really trying to blend all of that together and getting our coaches to understand that what they do in practice has the biggest impact. Uh, on a physical output or physical stress for our athletes. So we need to be able to work together and, and um, you know, as I said, speak the same language or row the boat in the same direction, just to make sure we're, we're doing what we need to as we, we put our athletes on the path to success. And I've had a lot of success recently over the years with a lot of coaches and getting good coach buy-in um, by, you know, suggesting uh, using just a low, medium, high scale of volume and intensity, and then allowing the coaches a structure to select what they need within that. You know, one of the nice parts about monitoring, uh, you know, practices and, and drills is, is you can provide that information back to the coaches and it's their information. 
you know, it's not me saying we need to do these drills here. It's saying, you know, what drills do you want to do uh, from a you know tactical perspective? Well, here's your drills that we've done over the last two years. Select the highest intensity ones if it's a high intensity day. Mm-hmm. And, and really within the sport of hockey, it's very much an autocratic leadership style where coaches coaches drive everything. And we, you know, we don't have the uh, progressive nature that a lot of other sports have had where, you know, their high performance director, their high performance manager, you know, has a seat at that table. Um, We're slowly getting there, but uh, you know, I've, I've had great success working alongside the coaches by just presenting the information as a recommendation and, and helping form their choices by getting them to understand how the physical relates to what they want to do. Mm. So just on that, then, you know, you say that, you know, it's, it's their information because obviously the practices and the, uh, the sessions that have been, de- you know, delivered are essentially what they have put together. Um, and I think, you know, what you're really saying is here's the information off the back of the, de- the delivery of what you've covered and now finding where you may have done something before, which fits into the requirements of what you need now. If that is, is that essentially where you're going with it? Exactly right. So um, one of the teams I work with is our under men's under 20 or our world junior program. And it's the penultimate team of hockey here in Canada with Hockey Canada. Um, you know, these guys are these are players who uh, were recently just drafted to the NHL are still finishing out their junior careers. They're just making that next step. But we always joke around that the success of our under 20 men's program on the international stage uh, tells the rest of the country, the pulse of hockey in Canada. And so there's a lot of pressure to win. Uh, You know, fortunately um, you know, we, we've, we've done quite well, but one of the things I do with that team is we have our world championship, which is a a 10 day period at the end of December, beginning of January. Um, But within the month leading up to that, you know, we have our, our training camps and our selection camps and our pre-competition camps. One of the things I work with our, with our coaches to do is understand the daily fluctuation of volume and intensity, because a lot of hockey coaches, they just think what work do we need to do or what volume do we need to do? Or, you know, we need a lot of volume. We need to practice a lot to get our players ready. And, And one of the things we've been able to show our coaches, it's not actually the volume of work that's important, but when it comes to the actual output in games and the impact on the scoreboard, it's the intensity of the work that matters. So I try to get our coaches thinking uh, in terms of intensity versus volume when it comes to our practice planning. And then just the daily periodization or fluctuation of that, backloading our volume furthest away from games, ramping our intensity as we get into things. But then as we get into the tournament, we have these practice days between games. You know, Within a, a 10 or 12 day tournament cycle, we're gonna play between six and, and, and seven games. So what we need to do is we need to be very specific on our practice outputs because we don't want to be out there long, but we want to make sure we're sharpening the spear. Mm. So what we do is, 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 you know, I'll go into the coaches meetings and I'll say, okay, uh, you know, I think we need to do a, you know, short duration, high intensity practice. And they're like, well, what does that look like? And then I'll say, I like to, I like to use a lot of matrix uh graphs with with coaches i feel they understand it because you can you know put a bucket and say this is low volume low intensity quadrant on a matrix the opposite end is high volume high intensity and then you know vice versa with your other two but i can say pick two drills from our uh low volume low intensity drill you know we'll do those two at the beginning just to get the guys moving then we'll pick two from our our high volume high intensity and then if you need one where there's a, a certain element of the game 
where you, you know, the team struggled or, or you want to coach them up. We'll go with, uh, you know, um, higher volume, low intensity where you can coach them. It can be a little bit more coach intensive and, you know, their drills will, will, you know, spectrum out along this matrix and then they'll just be able to select it when they see it. Okay. We'll do, you know, these two from this quadrant, these two from this quadrant and this one from over here, because that's what we feel from a coaching perspective. And I I've had great, you know, feedback and buy-in for some really high level coaches with that, because it's, again, you're, you're just framing their thinking without telling them what to do. And, and in the sport of hockey and the culture of hockey, that's a big thing. And just, you know, kind of just touch on that then. So essentially what you're saying is over the course of, you know, X time period, you want to come together and essentially have a library or catalog of practices, which basically just fit where you need them. And, you know, almost like a jigsaw. Exactly right. We're going to start in two weeks time here, uh, our preparation for this year's tournament. Um, and one of the things, you know, with, with hockey coaches is they have their kind of standard drills they use, and then they'll sprinkle in other ones here and there that they've seen or stolen or had success with or want to try out. But at the end of the day, they always come back to their stable of, I'm going to say 15 to 20 drills. Yeah. Well, over the course of a, a two week, um, you know, preseason preseason camp i'll have those drills down pat for them so as we get really close to our competition and you know we're we're out of that preseason and really into kind of the meat of things where as i said we need to be really specific and direct we just we're just using the past information of that coaching group and that and that um, athlete group to be able to now directly prescribe you know what i feel we need from my role plus also what the coaches feel they need to accomplish from a tech tac perspective. And to me, that's, you know, that's kind of that holistic view of, of, you know, tech tac physical and environment, because we're, we're patching, patching it all together. We've created an environment of collaboration across the practitioners. Um, you know, the physical element is now supporting the technical tactical elements that the coaches want. And, and, you know, with the way we get the players into it, because, you know, certainly with hockey, we, the player, we need the players to buy into the kind of the monitoring and everything that we're doing. You know, the, the line I always say to say to players is my job is to put you into the best position to succeed for when the coaches need that out of you. And the way we're doing that is we're, we, you know, we're monitoring all of your outputs on the ice. We're making sure we're not too high. We're not too low, but we're progressing as it relates to exactly what the coaches want out of you. Mm. So then just, you know, kind of just touching on that then you something you mentioned there's obviously you looking at it from a physical standpoint them looking at it from a technical tactical standpoint and identifying what might be right for individuals or players within or athletes within the group now what would you say are some of the considerations you're making or the or variables you're looking at when deciding whether it's right um are they consistent you know are there consistencies regardless of which environment you're in that you might be looking for as well? Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm kind of the way I frame kind of my load monitoring and my um, kind of my monitoring progression is, um, you know, we start with our external loads. What did the athlete do? Right. That's that from a group perspective or team perspective plus an individual perspective we always look at what did the athlete do and that's one of the reasons why five or six years ago I went down this path of wanting to find out you know external monitors or objective uh, training load because 
at that point, we never had a good idea of what the athletes actually did. So that frames the step one, the base foundation of what we do on a daily basis. And then the second thing you do is we look at what was the athlete's response to that load. So from an internal load perspective, whether that's heart rate monitors, HRV, we need to figure out how the individual athlete and the team is trending based off the work they do. So the way I do that is I always look at it uh, from a Z score basis individually and positionally, uh, because I want to see if athletes, uh, you know, we have a teams of, of between 20 and 25 athletes in ice hockey. We need to make sure the distribution that athletes aren't falling too far from their line mates or their position mates, because, um, you know, if an athlete who doesn't play that much, uh, they're one injury away from being thrust in the lineup. So we need to make sure they're, they're not falling too far from their positionally, but then individually, are they able to, are they handling what we're, we're asking them to do well? Um, and then we start to look at some of the subjective wellness after that, you know, are they coping well with the load? What is their soreness? What is their fatigue? Um, and we basically use those three kind of metrics to then make the decision on the athlete, um, how they're progressing, how they're going. I will tell you, uh, you know, over in North America, load management is a really hot button topic. Uh, started with kind of the basketball stuff. Do you sit athletes? And for me, load management isn't telling coaches that athletes, individual athletes or specific athletes can't play or can't practice or should do less. I actually use it to find those opportunities to do more. You know, when can we be intense? When are we open for, um, you know, prime opportunities to overload our athletes because we can take care of all the other stuff, the rest of the recovery off the ice or behind the scenes to, to put these athletes, you know, in a position where they can repeat that performance uh, every day. And then we might need to back off here and there, but I, I always view it and, and our athletes and coaches like it because they're not going to be told they can't do stuff. We're actually telling them when they should do more. Mm. And, you know, just kind of, you know, touch on that then, you know, you're talking about there when they, you know, when they should do more, and that it kind of leads into my next question around what. So, what does an optimal physical performance look like? And how, how um, obviously the you know the resources such as you know the uh, you know the, you talk about the catapult uh, yeah. the vests and whatnot and all these extra bits. Is it possible to maybe look at some certain indicators on the eye and and, and be able to assess whether someone's actually given a you know. A maximal output, or, or, or is it is it not possible at all without any you know additional resources? No, no, it is for sure. So for, for me, like my philosophy is, and, and I would, you know, obviously crafted it from a lot of the hockey work that I've done. But I want my athletes to be fit, fast, and move well. Mm. And that is the coach's eye, and the coach's you know I'll put my strength coach hat on for a second. That's what I want my athletes to do because that's what they need to do to be able to have success. They need to be fit. You know, hockey is an alactic aerobic sport with, you know, uh, it, it, you, you have to surf your, you know, kind of your whole energy systems. There, there is an uh, anaerobic component to it from a repeat shift ability, but athletes need to be fast. The game of hockey is fast and um, they need to be able to repeat that over time. But also we, we, we play in condensed schedules, you know, we're playing three to four games a week at the highest levels. So they need to be able to recover. They need to have a very robust aerobic system to allow for the recovery for, to allow for the repeat sprint ability. Um, so that's kind of the fit part of it fast. Obviously, as I said, speed kills in this game, the, over the last probably 
five years, the game has gotten extremely fast and younger. And, and um, it's exposed a lot of older players who just can't move up and down the ice as quick or as nimble. So we need our athletes to be fast because that's how coaches want to play. And so that is from a pure max velocity perspective. That's a, a pure acceleration perspective. Um, you know, it's just, it underpins the game these days. And then lastly, the, the movement quality is so important. And that you see that in any sport. And, you know, we're keeping our athletes healthy. Uh, hockey suffers through a lot of hip and groin injuries. So we need to make sure, you know, we got a lot of hip, great hip mobility. Um, you know, dorsiflexion, ankle mobility is extremely important for them to get into those low skating postures and positions they need to succeed. And so, you know, for me, without any monitoring, I, I I'm, would be constantly uh, assessing isn't the right word because it, it's not formal, but checking in and making sure that those athletes are hitting those specific qualities we need. So uh, what are our, what are our warmups looking like? What are our cool downs looking like? Our, our you know, our stretching or our low intensity sessions, are athletes able to, to drive hip mobility for, for me, when I'm in tournament, we're doing hip mobility sessions twice a day um, because we need to keep that area mobile and healthy for our guys mm-hmm. um, because that's going to, that's going to impact, um, you know, possible injury sites, but also just to be able to get them into those positions they need to succeed. Um, you know, fitness is, is constantly being monitored. Um, you know, I, I always err kind of on the high side. So, uh, you know, we'll do a few sessions a week uh, just to top guys up a bit um, from both a high, you know, a hit sessions and also some of that low intensity, uh, you know, 20 minute, you know, zone one aerobic flush type type sessions so you don't need all the fancy equipment to monitor things on ice because uh if you can apply your coach's eye and take care of the low-hanging fruit and keep your athletes uh you know physically ready that you can throw i've learned you can throw a lot at athletes before they break Mm. um from a from an on ice practice and game perspective definitely you know a term that you use there a couple of times around the coaches i now you know in, in in my sport, you know, working football or soccer, as you might know it, um, you know, we, 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 I often believe that the use of isolated practices or, uh, you know, constant um, practices where it's just repetitive motions again and again um, do have a place, but obviously for different, re- you know, diff- different reasons. So, in your, I guess, in your in your line of work, and essentially, you know, with the groups that you've worked in the past, how important is it that the types of movements that are, I guess, expected of you know pl- players or athletes in different roles and uh, positions within the team um, are directly mimicked or recreated within the session? If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, the thing with hockey and skating is it's so skill-based yeah. and skill-specific. And they can't get the the style or the method or the movements of skating really anywhere else. So one of the things that I've come to learn is hockey players love to skate. So, you know, instead of taking a day off or, you know, we're going to do a gym session, they'd rather go on the ice. And, you know, so there's a place for kind of that low-volume, low-intensity work, skill-based work. Um, one of the things, though, we talk about is, is that can't be your, your dominant um, practice style because technically, because traditionally that's such a low volume, low intensity that, you know, you're going to regress your athletes outputs if that's all you focus on, but there is a time and place for it. And, 
you know, one of the things that we've struggled with over here in North America around hockey is sports specialization. And, you know, the dominant thinking is athletes need to be multi-sport. You know, there's such a benefit in transfer to, to, to other sports. But one of the things that kind of gets washed in that argument is the skill of skating because athletes need to practice it. You know, they don't need to be on the ice five to six days a week in the summer. But uh, as they get older and they realize this is what they need to do, they, they do need that specialized work. And that, you know, that can't come from training physical qualities outside of the sport. And so it's, uh, it's something I've really wrestled with because especially with our younger and our developing athletes, we know they need time off the ice from a health perspective, from a mental perspective, they need to play other sports. But at some point we also need to sprinkle in some more of those like skill sessions of skating. Right. So essentially what you're saying is because of it's essentially such a dynamic thing and, you know, you, there's much more to it other than obviously just them skating. So there's you know, other other actions that need to couple with that. Essentially, that it makes it difficult to have have it just as a constant thing. If that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess so. You know, um, it, it's it's tough when you start to figure out, like when we like I'll take an athlete, uh, just a specific athlete for mm. example. You know, this athlete could be as fit and as strong you know they're playing at a high level but they need to work on their skating well are you going to tell if if you know that's the thing are you going to tell the athlete you know they can't skate for two to three months during their off season if you know that's the the one physical component that's holding them back um you know i always i always say you know that's not for everybody but like if you take my son for example and he needs to work on math i'm not going to say you know stop doing math for three months out of the year uh, and, and work on your writing, you know, we'll work on your math one day a week if, and we'll work on your writing if it's that time or that season. So, um, you know, the, the whole long-term athlete development model is, is so crucial for hockey. We suffered from this early specialization for too long that the, the spectrum swung all the other way where we were telling athletes, no, you can't skate during the summer, play lacrosse, play soccer, do this, don't get on your skates. And, and I felt, guilty of that too I was telling athletes that but you know over time we've come to realize that you know they might need to be on the ice once a week or twice a week you know it's not they're not playing competitive intensive work throughout the year but if if the skill of skating is what they need to work on and and that's going to separate them from their opponents or their peers then maybe they need to work on that as they get to hit that kind of like 14 15 16 years of age I guess my, my question is more coming from a perspective of let's say for instance um, you know, I'm not I'm not too familiar with uh, ice hockey, if I'm honest. However, I'm sure there's going to be certain types of let's just phases of play or patterns, patterns or plays of, yeah. sort of some sort where, um, let's say, you know, if I use a player was running at you know coming coming towards one player and then they had to make a specific type of movement to get round the player. How how you know how how much attention would you pay to the type of movement that's required within that, mm. within that action? Gotcha. Um, and how much would you guess pay attention to that when thinking about the way you're going to design your sessions, your practice, your drills, however you wish to view them um, when it, when it comes to the training, training sessions themselves? I mean, do you, do you, do you think about those things or is it again, not really considered? Um, well, well, you know, we, I really try not to blend into the 
technical, tactical peer, uh, like pillars with our coaches because uh, I, I try to stay kind of within my wheelhouse. But I will say the way hockey is structured is there is a lot of individual uh, passages of yeah. play associated in practice. So they do a lot of one-on-ones. They do a lot of battle drills, a lot of puck battle drills. You know, one of the things that from a strategy perspective, coaches always try to get the uh, numbers in your favor, right? So how can three players attack two? So whether that's, you know, how are you going to set up a triangle as you enter the zone? Um, how are you going to kind of expose some of that? And, and so a lot of that practice, those those phases of play get broken down in practice um, in small area drills. Um, and then, you know, those kind of battle drills or, or exposing Unfortunately, you got to expose your defenseman on your team to some of that because then they have to play against it. So there's a lot of that. And, and you know, similar to, to football slash soccer, uh, you know, we can modify, you know, one of the things I've, I've worked to educate our coaches is, is the, you know, modification of ice size and small area games. And we've seen small area games. And that's one of the things I think you guys do really well in your sport that we've kind of taken mm. from is, is adapting that two like phases of player passages of play in the sport of ice hockey brilliant so you're just kind of touching on that then you're looking at uh you know ice size and areas of play and whatnot how just talking to that then you know when we're looking at maybe the different uh i guess ways we can adapt and adjust or uh, manufacture our practices and our sessions what are, some, what are some of the other ways that we can have an impact on them? You know, earlier when we talked about you know use the phrase load management and we talked about intensities and uh, whether you want to be at high intensity and whatnot. Would you mind just talking to some of the ways that, you know, coaches could make adaptations to their practices or their sessions based on the needs of the, you know, the athletes within it, if that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things we've, we realized is um, sometimes in hockey, coaches can't see the forest through the trees. And, and I'm not saying this is a negative, but what I mean by that is, they get so caught up in these are the specific drills our team needs to work on now because we lost two nothing last night and and the two goals were scored against us in you know this type of play so we need to focus that on practice and they lose the sight of what impact that has on the global team preparation and the the example I'll give to kind of uh, you know the the a practical example is when our women's team was preparing for the 2018 uh, Olympics. Our coaches were so focused on stopping our main opponents, um, like one strategy that they had in their play, which was their forecheck uh, or their kind of regroup. You know, similar to um, you know they just were a, a very possession based team, and and that's you know slowly shifting the strategy here in hockey but to break that our coaches in practice were focusing so much on what to do but what they weren't realizing was they were neglecting our defensemen or our back half so the outputs were low and you know if you're practicing five or six times a week and playing one or two it, it very quickly our coaches started to not complain but comment on you know the defensemen weren't able to maintain a pace of play you know, was it a fitness issue? What was going on? You know, their, their outputs were dropping. They just couldn't sustain the intensity of play. And, you know, we know fitness isn't an issue. These are Olympic athletes and, you know, we test them, we monitor them, we're training all the time. So we had the numbers to back up that it wasn't fitness, but what we started to do was look at practice habits. And what we were noticing was our, our defensemen were having like 
10 to 15 percent um outputs in practice compared to games like significantly less because what they were doing in their drills was basically starting the drill, you know, one or two passes and then kind of skating up the ice a little bit and pivoting. And that was it because the coaches were so focused on what the forward group was doing that they lost sight of what was happening at the back end. Now we presented this information to the coaches and credit to our coaching staff. They made some modifications. What happened was the way hockey practices is, is, is at some point they typically split the position. So the forwards will go to one end of the ice and do something. And the defenseman will go to the other end. And typically the defenseman will work on shooting or positioning, but there are defensive coaches started to skate those athletes like really hard, like high intensity intervals really started to skate them. And our athletes over the back half of the season, after we made this intervention, had something like 40% improvements in their explosive efforts. The coaches were happy. They started to see their play progress and be better. And so it's really important. And, and a lot of the coaches just can't, they, they get so caught up on what they need to fix now that they lose sight of that, that impact and that effort. And, and I will tell you, it was a big shift for them mentally. Mm-hmm. But um, our team was was better from it. So I don't know if that answered your question. I, I tried to answer it with a, a practical yeah, example. I mean, but um, to, yeah, I, it is so important. I totally get what you're saying. Obviously, they've no, no, made adaptations to the practice itself to ensure that I guess that the intensity that the, the back players are working at was uh, obviously higher because hopefully that will then – it's one of the things that, you know, I talk about one of my roles, you know, over here is um, delivering on some of the national governing body awards within the coach education system. Um, you know, and I was having a conversation. I've always having conversations with coaches on the, on those courses about the importance of looking at ways to keep the intensity game realistic, um, or at least at match speed. How, how you know, however that looks for the group of players that you're working with. So if you're working with, you know, a, a senior team, or if you're working with under 19s or U10s or however much, how, whatever age group you're looking at, what is the demands of the of the game or or on the athletes within that context, if that makes sense. And if you're not training at that yeah. at that same intensity or with those same demands or at least very closely to them, then how can you then expect them to be able to perform in the same or in, in the optimal way when you get to the match day or in, on that game day, however you wish to look at that. And I think what you're saying, there's a great example of that, but I think where I was going with it was probably more along the lines of that's looking at a way of potentially changing the intensity. So, to look, you know, looking at that example, maybe delving in a bit deeper, what was it? What exactly did they do? I know you touched there about you know introducing some sort of intervals. Um, would you mind just going into a bit more detail around that and what that looked like? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, when when they split into these individual sessions uh, or you know individual periods, uh, the way traditionally and, and hockey is so based off tradition, it's scary. And I don't know if – I apologize. I don't know what it's yeah. like in your sport on that. But, you know, we are – like, it is so ingrained in coaches to do the same thing they've always mm-hmm. done. And it's just natural to them, right? And especially when you're in a season and across a team, you know, you just – you do what's comfortable and what you've had success with in the past. And so typically when when we split, the defensemen, they'll do, like, one-time shots. So they'll work on their shooting from the blue line in because that's – you know, they might get – three shots a game or four shots a game, but you know, that's what everyone likes to do. So they'll, they'll do these one-time shots or these passes across the zone. And, and that's typically what happens. Now, you know, we talked about that's not providing the intensity or the pace of play that they want. 
So what can we do? Well, um, there's two things we did. We took a look from a purely, I'm going to say, um, strength and conditioning output drill. So repeat sprints. So we had athletes skating at intensity with a brief recovery and repeating that, right? So like a traditional wind sprint or, or uh, kind of drill like that. So that was one piece we did. Now, we did that because we wanted the athletes to understand from a training perspective, the training quality we need to improve with this kind of shift of thinking. The other way we did that and, and the other way we sprinkled it in was, um, you know, we gave them a puck to do those drills and we had them skate similar patterns they would skate in a, in a game. So a coach would, would shoot a puck into the corner. The defenseman would skate as hard as they can to retrieve it and then skate up the ice into that same interval structure with a, with a timed work rest mm -hmm. ratio. And, and, you know, we just built drills out that way, working with the coaches, getting them to understand we need our athletes moving first and foremost. Let's do it um, under the microscope of training first, and then we'll start to move it towards more of like the air quote sports specific skills or patterns that they would do in a game. And then we'll start to build drills off that. And then we'll add a puck, we'll add another player, and then it starts to look like hockey again. And, um, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, huge credit to our coaches and our defensive coaches and the athletes that, you know, they they shifted their thinking from the traditional that they've always done to trying something new and really actioning off the information, <coughs> excuse me, we were collecting. Definitely. And it sounds like you've really, I guess, looking at ways to kind of challenge and you know i think there's an example you just touched on there about the movements and you know that was the kind of thing i was alluding to earlier um just conscious now then how how, how much of an emphasis obviously you know your work is mainly around the physical side of things and you know uh, working as part of like a multi multidisciplinary team it can you know that can present some challenges and you mentioned about where the, where the sport that i'm i'm in is currently at, and obviously I think I think just across the globe and across all the sports, there's been massive developments over the years, and how much of an influence I guess uh, people like yourself and you know working in your field are actually having an input within every sport. Um, you know, I think if you go back five years, you know, there's probably even then there's probably a lot a lot more resistance than there is now to to that. How 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 difficult is it for you now? Well, maybe not so much now, but how difficult has it been in the past? Have you faced any challenges when you when now trying to I guess? almost have an input or have an impact on what the athletes are actually doing or has, have you just, you know, have you been fortunate enough to get just been yeah. surrounded by receptive coaches or staff alike? I wish, <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Um, you know, it, it's always nice to talk about the successes cause they, they sound mm. great. Um, but here, so here's a few of the failures. Uh, I don't mind, uh, you know, ripping off the band-aids and talking about a few of those. So, uh, one recently, um, I'll talk about one from an athlete perspective. So, you know, we really try to, you know, especially here, like monitoring and technology and, and kind of this external load monitoring, it's not inherent to the sport, right? Like not every team has it. You have to really sell the players on it. And one of the teams I worked with recently, um, you know, I, I, Hey, I thought, I thought it was all great. You know, we were, we were moving, uh, we were moving on, everything was good. And then all of a sudden, you know, I read an interview, uh, you know, cause one of our players is, is really successful and they were talking about how, 
you know, they, the media found out, you know, he always worked hard in practice and how that's a good cornerstone of his game. And he's like, ah, I don't believe any of that stuff. And I'm like, no, but it's true. Like, that's a positive for you. Like they're trying to highlight the positive. And he's like, I don't believe all those monitors and everything there. And, you know, this is a young professional athlete who has a long 10 plus year career ahead of him. And, you know, for him to be, to just fluff that off, you know, because, uh, within the sport there's that bravado piece where he doesn't want to be seen as you know a hard worker oh, I don't believe that I just kind of do what I do out there and, and so I'm actually going to see that guy in two weeks and I'm going to have a little chat with him about how that's like that's successful for his career like you should be applauding that and championing that uh, from a coaching perspective I wish it was all successful and and you know we've had buy-in there, there was a coach I worked with uh, two years ago who had absolutely no time for any of this you know, one of the things we try to try to pride ourselves with Hockey Canada is we try to do everything we can to win. And so that means load monitoring. That means sleep technology. That means uh, jet lag plans. We were going overseas for one of with one of our teams. And so we put in a pretty comprehensive jet lag plan, talked about meeting times, everything a high performance team would think about. Now, this coach, you know, it was his first time with our group. He's had a lot of success in hockey, but he's like, I don't, who are you to tell me when I should be practicing and what we should be doing? And we're, I'm like, no, we're not telling you what to do in your practice. We're just suggesting there's periods of, of throughout the day where we shouldn't meet and we shouldn't practice, but there's also other times throughout the day where we should to optimize sleep wake rhythms and the, and the changing and shifting of the jet lag. And he's like, no, you shouldn't, you can't tell me what to do. This is my team, my stuff. He went up one side of me and down the other on this conference call. And like, I was shocked. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm like, listen, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying through science and years of, of working and traveling the globe with teams, there's certain ways we can set our athletes up for yes. success. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And so, you know, he basically took our load monitoring plan took our jet lag plan, crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage. And Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, it's my job to support the athletes within his structure. So, <laughs> excuse me, we may do and tried our best to help those athletes from a recovery regeneration side of things. But, so you know, just, they're not all successful. Just on that, you know, what, did, what did those two experiences in particular then teach you about how to maybe, uh, I guess, put your case forward essentially you know that's, that's essentially what you do you know you're, like I said, you're not really necessarily telling them what to do more it's more about guidance and advice and suggestions to kind of enhance where they're at currently well one of the things i've, I've learned is uh i phrase everything as suggestions and recommendations mm. so um you know at the end of each day when i'm with a team i will send an email to our coaches and management and our support staff uh, you know, I'll outline kind of what I saw today, <clears throat> how the sessions went. And then I, I have a section called suggestions and recommendations. And I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'll just put my thoughts out there, put it in, in writing. And, you know, I always say it's up to the coaches to, to decide if that's what they want to do. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who have to face the media in the spotlight. I'm just the backroom staff who's trying to help mm. the team win. Just on that, then you know how you know in in you know in in my sport it's very different. You know, people chopping and changing all the time. People getting fired and hired quicker than you know you can say bye. Um, 
what's the climate like in your sport? You know, how, how much you know, security do you have around what you do and, you know, the expectation? Obviously, over here, it's almost a situation where if you don't kind of fit in, you can be easily dismissed. And you're, like you said, your, your job at the end of the day is to advise and suggest and, op, you know, reach, help the athletes reach their optimal performance levels as well as your team and, you know, as a, as a whole. But sometimes that can be made difficult for you. Um, you know, I'm seeing it from a, a technical a tactical standpoint in terms of being a coach on the technical side of things. I've seen plenty of situations where the physical performance staff or whether that be you know, the, the analysis team or any of the multidisciplinary staff kind of sometimes get brushed away. Um, that must be quite challenging for you at times. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same in your sport. Um, how, how, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? Because sometimes you've got to kind of, especially you know, when you're working with senior athletes like you are, do you just have to kind of get on with what the coach says and that, that's it? Or um, so it is, is very same over here. Pro sport is such a fickle mm. business. You know, you're 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 essentially hired in, until you're you're fired. Um, you know, I I lived that firsthand when I was working in the national hockey league you know i i was fired after my first year probably not because of what i did but because we had a coaching change and the team wasn't very good and so the new coach came in wanted to make some changes and away you go like that's unfortunately the realities of the business now with hockey canada it's it's a little bit different in that um you know i'm i'm kind of constant and then you know coaches come and go because it's you know they're essentially invited or they apply to coach our teams for one to two years and then they go back to their club system so um you know fortunately i've been able to carve out um kind of a consistent role mm -hmm. for myself but you know for me it's it is challenging because at any point one of those new coaches could come in and say no i, I don't want to work with adam or i've got my own guy or whatever so what i've tried to do is I've tried to be open and honest in all of my communication. This is what I do. This is how I believe it helps us win. And this is the successes we've had in the past by following this model. And, um, you know, the, I'm very fortunate in that the higher ups, the management within Hockey Canada, really, I believe, trust and value what I've been able to bring to the table. And But it's essentially a constant job interview every year when I interact with these different coaching staffs because, you know, they don't, they don't know what I've done. You know, I'm fortunate that I do a lot of presentations for Hockey Canada and coaches groups. So people see the way we, we, we do things. They hear my philosophy. Um, so there's really, you know, no problem coming in. But I get challenged every time. Every time I walk into a new coach's room, you know, I get challenged about um, what we do. But I show them that, A, I know my stuff. B, this is how I can help them. But more importantly, this is how I can help the athletes in the team. And, you know, there is going to come a time where a coach wants to bring in his own person. I get it. I understand it. That's unfortunately sport at the highest level. Um, but, um, you know, I've seen it happen to me. I've seen it happen to friends in the National Hockey League. Um, and, I, you know, I, I always say to people when they ask what that climate is like, I say, you just got to do the best job that you can do. Um, and, you know, fortunate for hope you hope that uh, you know, things work well in your favor, but, you know, you just kind of keep pushing on and upward. And um, it, it is the ugly side of professional sport and sport at the highest level, unfortunately, especially for backroom staff mm, like definitely. us. You talked there about, you know, uh, essentially just 
do the best job that you can do. And a large part of your role is helping athletes do the best job they can do from a physical perspective. Um, you touched earlier on maybe some of the things that we can look out for as indicators in ways of assessing uh, the output of an athlete without having to use all the gadgets and the rest of it. What would your advice be to those coaches or practitioners who may not necessarily have, again, uh, access to the resources or even multidisciplinary teams and support staff in the form of a physical performance coach or strength and conditioning teams or however you wish to look at that. What would your advice be to those guys in, in regards to how they can maybe start to consider implementing some positive strategies to support the physical performance of the athletes? Yeah, the, I, I'll say the number one thing is talk to your athletes. Talk to your athletes every day. Get a pulse of how they're feeling because you can tell a lot without even monitoring what you're doing with fancy technology or questionnaires. You can get a good pulse of your team by just talking to them and asking them how they're feeling. What's their body language like? And I feel a lot of coaches, sport coaches, they don't do that. And the more successful ones do it. It doesn't matter what level you're at. You could be my son's under nine hockey coach. And, you know, he's a great guy because he talks to the athletes. He, he, he talks to them, you know, every chance he gets, he tries to make a connection with that athlete. And it doesn't matter if you're a sport coach or a strength and conditioning coach or physical performance coach, talk to your athletes, get to know them, get to understand what drives them because when they're off or when they're different and you might need to modify things, you'll be able to tell. Brilliant. And, you know, just kind of come back to obviously the topic of the episode. I are looking at how to reach optimal performance uh, physically anyway. Would you mind just going through some, I guess, actionable steps that we can start to think about, you know, whether we are in or outside of those environments where we do have access to some of these resources, some things that we can kind of put in place to help the athletes get to that point um, and potentially other maybe physical performance staff that might be listening to this that aren't coaches, um, any tips or strategies that they can maybe implement in, in supporting the technical staff in, in managing that? Yeah. You know, the one thing I've, the one biggest thing I've, I've taken away from my research, but also in a lot of the work that I've done in conversations with coaches and coaching presentations, and, you know, from a physical performance perspective and getting teams ready, focus more on the intensity of what you're doing and the intent versus the volume of work that you're doing. And, you know, from a strength and conditioning coach or someone that maybe that might sound um, pretty simple. But I find coaches think they need to coach more versus coach the most intensive passages of play better uh, can make a, a huge difference in um, in team play. And, you know, you can take that across the technical tactical side. You can take that from a physical performance perspective. You know, for me in the gym, when I'm preparing teams, it's all about intensity and less about volume, especially as athletes get older, you know, they've done it. They don't need that requisite volume of work because they've already built up that chronic load. But more importantly, it's, it's how hard can we get them to work? And, um, you know, certainly in hockey, that was a, a big mental shift. And, um, you know, I always try to get our coaches to understand what they give our athletes has the big impact on their physical load from a practice perspective. And, you know, they say, oh, well, you're the strength coach, you handle the physical side of things. And I actually say, no, you know, if, if I'm, if we're with a team and you're practicing 75 minutes a day and I have them for a 30 minute warm up plus two gym sessions a week, who has the most time with them doing physical activity? It's not me, it's you. 
And so let's work together. And, and, and a lot of them just think about the volume of work they need to do or how long they need to practice. But if we can get your, your listeners shifting their mindset or shifting their spectrum of thinking to intensity, when can we be intense? How hard do we need to work? A lot of the other coaching cakes frame around mm. that. So that, 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 that would be a big one. Talk about shifting their mindset to intensity now naturally that will have a uh, I guess a knock-on effect in the way which we as coaches will then potentially intervene within the practice or sessions what would you, you know how, how, how would you manage that or do you mean do you agree with that is that, is that something you've witnessed and you know when I guess the intensity has been the main focus as opposed to when it isn't yeah like one of the things with hockey is is um they do a really good job of video okay. coaching. So using, um, you know, video software platforms to break down gameplay, to coach the tactics, to show that to the athletes that they can understand and learn what they need to do off the ice. And then they can go on the ice and execute it. They don't need drill after drill after drill, breaking down what they just saw on video right? Show them what they need to do or improve or what you want them to do, and then have them execute it at the highest or fastest intensity they can to make that learning stick, because that's the output you want. And, you know, one of the things hockey suffers from is they'll do three or four drills of the exact same technical or tactical outcome, because they know they think the athletes just need to work on it, rote memorization, do it again, do it again, do it again. No, these guys and gals that I work with, they're the best. They can, they can see something on video and make the change like that within their game. They don't need to practice it and practice it and practice it. Show them, let them do it at or near game pace and move on to the next thing. Okay. And then, you know, so, so following from that, then what would you say the next step? So, you know, after shifting your mindset to that intensity aspect, what follows that? Um, you know, that would be step one. Step two is, uh, you know, how does it all fit within your coaching structure? So, um, you know, actually sitting down and planning things out from both, uh, you know, a micro and a macro. Uh, I don't know what it's like over there, but here coaches, as I said earlier, live in the here and now, you know, a lot of them don't have weekly to monthly plans, but if you don't know where you need to go, how, how have you not planned a roadmap for that? So how does it all fit in? So, uh, you know, I talked about intensity, but we're not going to have intensity every day, right? You just can't do that. You're going to crush your athletes. So within your weekly and monthly scale, when are you going to have those intensity? Because it's, you know, there's the yin and the yang, you know, if you want high intensity you have low volume, but if you want low intensity, which you need, you can have opportunities to have higher volume. So where does that fit into your week? And, uh, you know, that's one thing that, um, you know, I, some of us have actually tried to steal from soccer and football overseas is that kind of tactical periodization model mm-hmm. or breaking things down a little bit because coaches don't necessarily think that way. Um, you know, and, and then the other thing is, is making sure if we are having those periods of, of high intensity, we're allowing our athletes to uh, recover for adaptation. And so we are, you know, taking care of their, 
movement, pre- you know, preparation. We're giving them their, you know, that hip mobility that I touched on earlier. We're, we're giving them their, you know, whether it's their hydrotherapy or their nutrition, we're making sure all of that is dialed in to allow them to have those periods of intensity. And, um, you know, when I was working in the university setting, that was a struggle for a lot of coaches. We were just starting to talk about intensity and our coaches were like, yeah, we go intense five days a week, two hours a day on the court. You know, this is what we do. And it's like, no, that like that's just driving your athletes into the ground. You're not using intensity as the modifiable metric there. You're just overloading them. And, and so just getting them to think that they don't need to go hard in, in it every day because um, you need to allow the athletes to, if you when you do go hard, give them that recovery. And, and that's just something I think a lot of uh, developmental coaches struggle with because coaches are driven to coach. And they don't understand backing off can actually elicit a positive adaptation down the so road. So just on that, then, you know, is there certain times where, or rather certain visual cues or references or even, uh, yeah, considerations that we could kind of think about or make when we're looking at it's time to back away now, other than the simple one of these players look like they've had enough? Um, you know obviously the communication with them is huge. Uh, I am a firm believer in internal load monitoring. So heart rate monitoring, how is an athlete changing based off the loads you're giving them? Um, You know, simply looking at or getting an understanding of the stressors in an athlete's life. So, you know, for, you know, I spent nine years in the university setting. We knew when midterms and final exams were coming up and we would have to adjust our, our training and our competition calendar around those periods of high stress for athletes, because we know that periods of, of, of high stress can increase the likelihood of an athlete getting injured or, or you start going down the path of, of, um, you know, overloading stress and they can't manage things, et cetera. So um, getting a firm understanding of, of where your athletes are at, uh, depending on, you know, the age group and the cohort you're working with is, is huge. And, um, you know, that, that was certainly one of the big key takeaways I, I had with, with that university environment was getting to understand the school schedule and, and adjusting off my stuff and, and working with the coaches to, to adjust for those periods of, of high academic stress load. So that would be a big one. Um, you know, um, the other thing I would say is, you know, the world of sport, especially, you know, younger sport, you can take a shotgun approach. You know, if you have one day a week where, you know, it is low volume, low intensity, regardless of if you feel your athletes need it, you take the shotgun approach where, you know, you're going to hopefully it sticks. You're going to have good success with it because you're even without fully measuring and monitoring, you're doing what I would say is a best practices approach. Mm. And, you know, so you talk there about looking at the intensity, assessing whether that's, uh, I guess, having a positive or negative impact on the players. In the end, when we're now, I guess, deciding on whether we've reached that optimal performance, a lot of that then comes down to, I guess, the standard at which you want your athletes to be working at. Now, how important is it that before or when setting out these training programs and plans, that the players are fully aware of the expectation from that perspective. Oh, it's, it's absolutely critical. You know, um, 
I think I said it earlier, but any of the athletes I work with, I always tell them, my job is to put you in the best position to succeed. So when the coaches need the best out of you, you have that available to you. And here's how we're going to do that. You know, I was with our 2014 women's Olympic team. We were fortunate enough to win gold um, at the Olympics that year. But one of the things I learned with that group is they needed to understand the process. You know, we asked them to do a lot. You know, it, it is a grind at that level from a training, playing, traveling perspective that going into every month and every training phase or even weekly, they needed to understand what we were doing mentally so they could learn to push through it. And, and that's one of the, the big takeaway with that group. They were a veteran group. They just wanted to know the whys. I was asking them to do what they were doing and how ultimately it fit into the big picture. And they were good with it. But up until that point, if they weren't told, there was a lot of questions, there was a lot of pushback. So, you know, one of my key takeaways from that and how it's impacted my coaching career is I am very upfront. This is why we do it. And this is how it's going to help you. And this is how it's going to help the team. And just, you know, as you start to wind down, you know, are there any consistent habits that you see across, you know, athletes who are already almost in the mindset of wanting to be at that optimal performance or once they get to the optimal physical peak, physical performance uh, state, are there consistent habits that you would say that they, they're carrying out? Obviously, there's, you know, you, there's only so much you guys can do in terms of adapting training sessions and the practice that they do whilst in, I guess, well, under your supervision in the club or in the, in, in the, in the team setting. Outside of that, are there any consistent habits that you've seen from them? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, the best are fully dialed in, right? Nutrition, sleep, optimizing, any opportunity to perform um you know but for me one of the biggest things is um you know i like to look at their practice mm. habits daily and i can tell i work with a lot of as i said earlier that under 20 group i can pretty much tell who's going to be a good professional athlete and who's going to have a mediocre career just by their practice habits because if you haven't developed those practice habits at 19 or 20 years old, you can't automatically turn them on at 22, 23, 24. And um, that's, a, that's a big thing because skill can only take you so far, right? When you get to the highest levels, everybody's skilled. But what are you doing to separate, trying to separate yourself from your peers to make sure you have a long, successful career? Um, so, you know, that's a big one, especially when at that age, you know, and, and the business of hockey has told these guys they need to train, they need to eat well, they need to sleep properly. It, it comes down to what they can control and, and those practice habits and the way they, they take control of themselves every day on the rink is, is one of the biggest things I've seen. Mm. So, you know, Adam, you've gone over some really useful stuff, you know, certainly interesting for me to kind of take on board and think about how I might apply that within my own practice. Um, and I'm sure it'll be the same for the listeners now. If there was anyone that had any questions beyond uh, the stuff that's been discussed and mentioned in this in this show so far, is there somewhere they can reach you? Absolutely. Um, you know, more than happy. Uh, fairly active on uh, Twitter and social media. Um, my handle there is AD Strength. Um, and then, you know, certainly email um, douglasadam at gmail.com. Um, I try to 
answer anybody that emails me with questions. You know, I've, I've had great coaches help me as, as I've been coming up and in the past. And so um, certainly uh, I'm always faster to reply on social media uh, as I think most people are in this day and age, but uh, social media or email or whatever, more than happy to, uh, to follow up if anybody has any conversations or questions they want to have based off this. Well, there you have it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Coaches Network How-To Series where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests break down some actionable how-to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in and please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from, to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show. Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed, ultimately, guys, the show is about you guys. So let us know what you're interested in, who you're interested in listening from. So get us and get in touch. And on that note, guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. But please do not forget to use the hashtag the Coaches Network. That was the hashtag the Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.